Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. Uh, the Cardinals are 25 and 18, assuming they don't blow the gigantic lead they have in this uh, Pirates game as we're uh, recording this right now. That would put them on pace to win 94 games this season. Uh, and we're here with a pretty special episode today. Uh, ben Humphrey is with me as always, uh, but we're also joined by Kyle Reese of Birds on the Black. You guys know Kyle from Prospects After Dark and just as kind of the Cardinals uh, uh, minor league guru of Twitter. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you. It's my pleasure, and it is an honor to be here. You guys have been doing great work, and uh, I guess this is episode eight and your seven prior episodes. I've loved the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Uh, so, Kyle, we usually kick things off uh, with kind of what have we learned, uh, focusing on the major leagues. Um, but since you're here and we're now uh, a few weeks, uh, I guess I'll really actually we're more than a month, aren't we, into the minor league season um, or, or no, a little less than a month. Anyway, uh, I'm curious, Kyle, what would you say we have learned so far from the minor league season? We are at the beginning of week three, or I guess midway through week three. Uh, and, you know, they're off every Monday now. That's part of the travel arrangements, uh, cut down on travel costs and also just general travel, hotel costs, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I think for me, what I'm taking away from two weeks and three days of minor league baseball, specifically with the Cardinals, is there? there's a very uneven playing field between guys who are really rusty and guys who aren't as rusty. And I think that you can really see it. And, you know, uh, like for instance, tonight for Springfield, there was a young man named Alvaro Sejas pitching and Alvaro Sejas has always had command issues, but in 2019, he started putting it all together a little bit, started working through those with command issues, really got his motion and his mechanics in a good spot. And then he loses 2020. And now he kind of is a mess You know, and he's also been the emotional type uh, where, you know, if he gets some bad calls, he he kind of you can see him upset about it. So between him losing his command and kind of losing his mechanics and then getting upset that he isn't getting calls, it's just you can kind of see it all falling apart. And I, I hate to single out Sejas here, but I think that that's just what a lot of these guys are feeling, you know, they've all worked hard to get to a major or a full minor league season and they're all here. And I think you're seeing a lot of rust. You're seeing a lot of people pressing, trying to make an early impression right away. Uh, And then, you know, on, on the flip of that, you just have some guys, a lot of, you know, a lot of the guys who have played competitively over the last year, whether it be in the Caribbean league or an independent league or that were at the satellite camp or, uh, got to spend spring training with the major league club in both 2020 and 2021. Uh, those guys seem to have kind of an edge here. So uh, all of that's a long way of saying pretty much what you would expect is kind of panning out. And I think this is the first week where we're starting to see in week three here, uh, some normalcy in minor league baseball, uh, some leveling out. So uh, I, again, the, the long, the, the short of the long is that I still don't feel like we know anything or I've learned anything. I think that we're still adjusting to uh, minor league baseball in 2021 following a pandemic and minor league contraction. All right. All right. Well, awesome. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of kind of structure today, I think uh, Ben and I were just going to kind of throw some questions your way. I feel like we've almost set up our own 
private episode of Prospects After Dark. I know I drop in when I can. I more often catch you via podcast. I'm not able to join live that often. And uh, see this way rather than asking a question and then having to wait for you to like work through the hundreds of questions that you get to get to my question, Ben and I get to very selfishly throw our questions directly at you. So I appreciate you fielding those. Uh, ben, you want to kick us off? Is there something you wanted to bounce off, Kyle? Um, I wanted uh, to get your thoughts on Oviedo. Um, it, it w- it's been fascinating to me. Uh, you know, in spring, he did a lot of work on the backfields and he was, you know, he was present, but not, he felt like a, you know, kind of like Poochie, you know, people would talk about him even though he wasn't on the screen. And, um, (laughs) and then we see him and he comes out and it's, you know, it's almost like seeing a different pitcher. He, he does quite well uh, with his, uh, with a couple of starts for the majors. Then he goes down to Memphis and struggles, gets called back up, uh, struggles again in, uh, in a major league start. And, you know, I was just kind of interested to see what your thoughts are because, you know, in my mind from 2020 to 2021, he just looks like he has developed in really almost a, a, a wholesale way just with his entire repertoire. And I, I've been, uh, pretty heartened with with what we've seen from him in terms of stuff and and that type of thing. So I was wondering, what do you what is your impression of Oviedo this young season? He's always had a big arm, and he's always had really good stuff. I remember consistently in the minor leagues leading leading into the 2020 season, uh, he it seemed like one inning of every start, and it was usually early. He'd have like a 32 pitch inning or a 35 pitch inning. And you would see him get kind of loose with his mechanics. And, you know, then I think about between 2019 and 2020, he got himself into great shape. He was always a big kid, uh, but he, you know, he went from being a, you know, a Cuban who worked tirelessly to learn the English language, who now speaks the English language really well. Just uh, the type of mind frame this kid has, the type of mentality he has, like he, he puts his mind to something, he dedicates himself to it puts himself in a great position to, you know, physically gets his mechanics in great position. And then I feel like in 2020, and again, you can only take so much from the 2020 major league season. I feel like what we've seen in 2021 early on with Johan Oviedo is somewhat similar to what we saw in 2020. I think his stuff is better. I think his command is better. He's progressed definitely. But I remember in 2020, you know, he, he makes his first major league appearance and I, Everybody was kind of saying the same things like, wow, this guy's got a big arm. He, he had one bad inning, but he's he's really working through it. He's really impressive that, you know, he's going to take off. He's going to take off. And then he had just had a couple setbacks, developmental setbacks, nothing that you wouldn't expect from a 21 or a 22 year old kid. And I, again, I feel like going from that, what we saw in 2020 to what we're seeing in 2021 is just the natural progression of somebody who missed a very important, some some extremely talented, top-tier talented right-handed arm that missed a very important chunk of their development their development at the minor league level. And, like, that's what I see out of Johan Oviedo. I, I see a kid who, and you're right, you, you hear about him pitching on the backfields at spring training to kind of uh, refine and also to keep him away from talent so that when he comes back to the majors, he's blowing everybody away. And he was, he was super impressive. Uh, but I just, what I see is that, developmental gap that 
just hasn't, he hasn't had the chance to fulfill, to experience, you know, some of that struggle that doesn't come with the pressure of Major League Baseball. Uh, letting a curveball loose in a 0-0 count uh, with a bunch of base runners on. He, he just hasn't had that. And instead, he's having to kind of just go on natural ability, uh, which he has in droves, and, and not necessarily the refinement that comes with that extra little bit of, of minor league experience. It, specifically, someone like him who, you know, only had like 20 starts at double A, and then all of 2020 happened. And now he, he has to be an important 26th, 27th, 28th man to a major league baseball club. While at the same time, you know, he, I could be wrong. And I was talking to uh, RC uh, Cola on Twitter about this. Um, the car, he started for the Cardinals and then they sent him down to Memphis and he started on short rest for Memphis because they were in a tough bind. So that was a tough assignment there. And then they call him up and he's pitching again on short rest for the Cardinals. So it's, I think it's just a combination of all of those things working against, a, a, I believe he's 22, a 22-year-old uh, uh, man-child, really. Well, there's been times where I, I swear he couldn't have even gotten back to Memphis before they called him back. I have a feeling like, you know, his phone rang. He was like taking a piss in a rest stop or something. And he like gassed up and turned around and headed in the other direction. So it, and especially for a kid that young, it seems like it's it's got to be challenging to be kind of bouncing back the way he is. And Ben and I have kind of talked about it. They're really using him as their you know, they are sort of using a sort of false six man rotation where when they have off days, they've been sticking with a five man. But then when they have these like kind of, you know, two to three week stretches of no off days, they've found a, a way to get another starter in there. And typically it's been Oviedo so far. So do you think, I mean, I guess, do, do we expect that that is going to continue this year? And and Kyle, do you think that that will that will hinder his his growth. Would you rather see him get uh you know one or two months of kind of solid starts in in Memphis, or what do you guys think would be best? Yeah, for me, I I want to see him get at least a couple rounds at Memphis, and they have that built in seventh day off. They have the built in Monday, so that gives yeah. him a little bit of rest too. You know, it's it's kind of like the the reverse college style uh, at. at at the minor league level right now because of that Monday off. But yeah, like I'd like to see him get into some type of routine. Uh, you know, I, I've been meaning to look at what the off days look like for the Cardinals. You know, obviously they were off yeah, uh, on Monday and now they're off on Thursday. And I really would have liked to, for them to use that as the catalyst to get in some type of normal rotation uh, at Memphis with uh, Zach Thompson and Matthew Libertor and Johan Oviedo specifically, because you know, obviously uh, a Libertor and Thompson will have to be added to the 40 if the Cardinals decide to bring them up to the major league level. Um, you know, Angel Rondon has struggled at Memphis, but he's already on the 40-man roster. But, you know, uh, I, I just bring that up because it'd be nice to at least have a couple options ready to go in case Oviedo does struggle, in case he can't get things going. But, yeah, I, I'm on board for him getting as much time at Memphis to uh, continue to refine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you, you brought up uh, uh, Liberatore, as we call him on this podcast, Liberatore yeah. uh, and Thompson. Um, do you see either or both of them making a big league debut this year? And and is that as a starter? Real fast, that Liberatore. Liberatore. Uh, <laughs> so the, his first start in Memphis, the PA guy pronounced his last name Liberatore. 
And, yeah. you know, I'm already bad at pronouncing everybody's names anyways. And it threw me for a loop. And I'm, you know, I, like I immediately am reaching out to people. Wait, have I been saying it wrong the entire time? I can't yeah. even get this relatively simple name right. But no, it was a PA announcer who got it wrong. So, well, and, uh, and, that guy. And, and to be clear, I think that every person deserves the right to be called whatever they want, to have it pronounced the right way. But I'm making an exception here because it's so much more fun to say it this way. So, um. yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I I do think that it's more likely that Matthew Liberatore makes a major league debut. He seems to be more, you know, like when I hear Mo talk about Liberatore, he talks about the time that he's already had at the minor league level, you know, uh, in Tampa Bay. It's a difference of a year, but that year to the Cardinals means a lot. The preparation, the minor league preparation means a lot to the Cardinals. So I think it's more likely, specifically if it's in a starting situation, it's going to be Matthew Liberatore. But I do think that if they needed a lefty out of the bullpen, if they decided they didn't want to go with, you know, take a chance on Austin Warner or Evan Kraczynski or one of the – they have a ton of lefties at both AA and AAA, uh, Domingo Robles. Um, if they decided not to go with one of those guys, I do think they'd end up going to Zach Thompson because of how, how nasty his stuff can be specifically in shorter stints. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right, Ben, you have a, something you want to throw Kyle's way? Well, I, I just want to say, I, I think surprise, surprise Kyle's spot on. I think, I think Thompson just feels like he has the stuff and when they're satisfied that they've given Miller every chance to heal his blister and everything else. And if Webb's unable, you know, to, to right. put a solid stretch together. I wouldn't at all be surprised if, if Thompson is, you know, almost like a, uh, like Marshall for the Cubs type arm for them out of the pen, or even like a, a Genesis Cabrera, the way that Schilt has kind of used him now. Um, he's got really good stuff. Um, but Liberator, you know, he's, a, he, he is a top of the rotation arm and I think they're going to use him as a rotation member. Um, and I'm excited to see it. Um, but uh, get, getting back to the, the uh, questions, um, it seems to me, you know, and I've, I often like to invoke Alabama uh, with my upbringing and being in a AAA town, but like, you know, we have sort of evolved with our, uh, prospect watching, but it used to be, you know, you would get the baseball America top 100 and you would figure out who would be coming to town because those are the guys who are probably going to make the majors and you'd try and make it down to the ballpark to see those guys play. And one of the things that struck me, uh, just looking at some of the highlights and some of the numbers and some of the feedback from some of the prospect watchers is it seems to me like we could have a whole lot of volatility between the off-season or preseason lists and like the mid-season top prospect lists. Uh, just because it, it feels like um, some of the uneven play and some of the rust. And then I think teams have been kind of aggressive with some of their assignments so far this young season. And so I'm just kind of wondering, you know, you do, uh, you know, you do your top prospect list. Um, and so do you feel like you may be seeing 
more of a shuffle this year because of the lost year in in terms of how you're rating these prospects and ranking them? There's definitely more volatility, uh, specifically so early on. Uh, I'll probably hold off as long as I can. I mean, I I might I you know we've talked about doing a, a midseason ranking, and I, I'm still on the fence about that for this very reason. I just you know you you talk about. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of people maybe, and I've done a poor job of explaining too, but that maybe a lot of the general public doesn't know. And that's between, again, between the loss of the 2020 season and the contraction of minor league baseball, the, the rosters are already aggressive. Losing yeah. two short season levels, like that's why Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker are at full season Palm Beach, full season low A. It's it's a whole different world to gauge success and failure at, and you know you can you can look at Jordan Walker, the Cardinals' first round pick in 2020, the third baseman, the big kid, uh, and see the the mechanical changes he's made, and also see that he's constantly hitting the ball above 100 miles per hour, and he's not really striking out a lot, and you can get excited about that, and everyone should be excited about that. That's rare, especially for a prep kid, but we still don't have like a proper gauge on what success that really is just yet. You know, uh, again, if, if we're talking about the Northwest Arkansas naturals tonight, putting up, you know, uh, three runs on Alvaro Sejas in two innings or three innings, that's not as impressive as maybe doing it two months down the line. So uh, I do think that, you know, baseball America prospects live uh, pipeline, all of those national uh, and I, I, Prospects Live are usually pretty keyed in. Those guys are pretty awesome. But uh, all of those national services, you know, they don't have scouts at every one of these teams. You know, they're relying on people that the contacts they've made within organizations. So I think those national services are really going to struggle uh, as they continue to adapt and adjust to it. I, I, I would. I'm already having trouble. I, People were asking me, would Jordan Walker be a top five prospect in the organization? And, you know, obviously he, he was close before the shutdown and he hadn't even played a game in the system. And now he's probably their most impactful hitter per, you know, at, at his level per level uh, in, in the system. So. Like it just, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to think about any of it. And, uh, you know, uh, that's why, that's why like on Twitter, I've been trying to gif as much as I can just to show people, even like some of the bad stuff, just to show people that there's a lot going on right now. And it's, it's just, there's so much in flux. It's been fun to watch, especially not knowing what you're going to see on a daily basis out of anyone. Uh, you know, like Alec Burleson is a uh, Cardinals, Cardinals second round mm -hmm. pick. In, uh, in 2020, he's an outfielder, used to pitch for ECU, used to pitch a little bit for team Collegiate Team USA. Uh, and there are games when he gets meatballs and he can't do anything with it, and now he's at double-A hitting his first home run tonight. So there's just so much in flux, and it's interesting, and I'm, I can't wait to see how it all settles out because eventually it's going to have to settle down, I, I would think. I mean, I hope so at least. Yeah. Well, Burleson was a guy that I was interested in kind of hearing your thoughts on, too, because you mentioned early on the the gap, you know, we've seen and we have guys like, you know, Nolan Gorman, who was in uh, spring training in 2020, alternate site and then spring training in 2021. So he's he's really had a you know pretty, uh, you know, kind of professional development the whole way. 
Uh, Burleson, of course, was just drafted last year, but I'm pretty sure he was not at the alternate camp. So he was just, you know, I guess what working out at, you know, at home or with his college buddies or whatever. So those guys, those are the guys that I felt like they're going to show up this year and like who on earth knows what you're going to get with those yeah. guys. And and it sounds like you're saying that overall, you're kind of seeing the rust on some of those guys. But man, he seems like a guy who actually managed to to develop because I feel like what I remember hearing about him was he was more of a contact guy and the power was a little lacking. And, you know, obviously he, you know, just a lot of loud power uh, enough so that he's, you know, already been promoted up a level. So, yeah. And all of that tracks uh, all of that. You know, he's one of like we talked a second ago. He's just one of those kids who was splitting time between being a relief pitcher, a pitcher in general for ECU, and then also playing the field and the the heavy task of playing for, you know, the, the collegiate team USA. Um, he's a smart kid. And it, with someone like him, you know, you have hindsight, hindsight being 2020. You can see how someone like that, who with, with all of his accolades, with all of his pedigree, who finally gets an off season to dedicate to hitting, specifically hitting as an outfielder uh, can really take that by the reins and, and like dedicate himself specifically to hitting and take that into momentum leading into a 2021 season. So I, I think that that's really played to his benefit. I, I think, uh, you know, one of the, the kid that they drafted right after him was Levi Prater, who is a left-handed pitcher from Oklahoma and Prater's playing pitching for Palm beach. He's a le- again, a lefty and he hasn't, he hasn't had the success yet. He's more of a command first pitcher. He hasn't quite had the success yet. And I think that there's something to be said about taking reps at a hitting facility as compared to pitching in a pitching lab or hitting lab as compared to pitching in a pitching lab. I think they can simulate those at bats maybe a little bit better than you can simulate a pitch uh, throwing to live practice in a pitching lab. So, uh, again, the, the, they're just things that I don't think that we can see right now. And we're only going to be able to evaluate with hindsight uh, when you can really see the full picture that you just passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy just to think about having an entire year of the minor leagues in, uh, you know, behind a curtain, basically, and not seeing where, you know, what happened at all. And I mean, I, I was thinking about this even last year. So la- if we had a minor league season last year, uh Gorman, just using Gorman as an example, he, uh, my sense is he would have maybe gone to Peoria, but maybe would have started at Springfield uh, last year. Is that kind of your sense, Kyle? Yeah, he finished 2019 at Palm Beach, which was high A then. Right. And every indication is that they would have gotten aggressive with him and put him at Springfield. Right. Yeah. So, so assuming, so, so assuming he would have, could have started last year at, at double A, right? just thinking about the range of possibilities for a kid like Nolan Gorman, right? You have the really aggressive possibility where he's almost like a Dylan Carlson type where he blows away double a by the all-star break. He's in triple a. He could have, if again, like his highest projection, maybe he's a guy that even gets that like September call up. I mean, that, that was in the, that was a possibility. On the other hand, he could have shown up at double a and it could have been like, oh shit, this is the level where he cannot handle the pitching here. So that's your top guy in your system. And basically last year we could have learned that either this guy might be hitting a ceiling at double A or this guy's already breaking through in the major leagues. That's a huge range of possible outcomes. And we come into this year 
with all these guys basically having no idea where they could be on that kind of a, a spectrum. Yeah, Nolan Gorman's a super interesting because of that, specifically a kid who's always struck out a lot, uh, higher than league average, even though he's been really, really productive at every league he's been at. Just thinking about his early returns in 2021, he was terrible the first week of the season. There there might not have been a more disappointing, and again, take disappointing, don't, don't take it with the weight that the term disappointing normally has. Uh, keep in mind all the things that come with the beginning of a 2021 season. But there, there definitely wasn't a more disappointing prospect in the minors for the Cardinals, other than maybe Griffin Roberts uh, at the, at the, after that first week. He struck out like 14 times in 17 at-bats. He had one extra base hit. He wasn't making any contact at all. He was walking a little bit, but only when he wasn't getting pitches near the zone. And uh, he was terrible in the field. He made like two or three field, uh, fielding not even errors, just bad plays. You know, there's the stigma with errors. They were errors, but they were also like, there were plays that needed to be made that were not made. And it was just the most brutal, most brutal first week that he possibly could have had. Um, and then, you know, you keep in mind, well, this is the kid who's also facing a tough assignment hitting double A, a kid who's learning two other positions for the first time, second base in the outfield. And it's just all coming together at once. And then, the second week, last week, was better. And by the end of the week, he had made the adjustment. He had cut the Ks down. He was walking more. He had hit his first home run. He was uh, uh, hitting doubles. The key for him is a lot like Tyler O'Neill. There, there are so many similarities between left-handed hitting Tyler O'Neill or left-handed hitting Nolan Gorman and right-handed hitting Tyler O'Neill. Like, uh, there, there are similarities there where they're at their best when they're just letting their raw power do whatever the raw power does. But their 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 aim is for that opposite field gap, and that's how like all of these years watching all of these years two years watching Nolan Gorman he's been his most successful his most powerful and his least uh, easily abused when he's just poking the ball to the left field gap uh, and and that's a lot like Tyler O'Neill there, there's there's a very similar minor league hitting profile between the two uh, but yeah like. The, in just three weeks watching the evolution in Nolan Gorman and then thinking about, to your point, what would have been in 2020, what his his range of delta could be of success and failure, it uh, it's just that adjustment that's happened is the positive, even if he wasn't being successful. And I don't even really know what else to say other than that. It's, again, just more, uh, more things to keep in mind. And then you you throw second base in on top of that, right? I mean, the hitting, yeah. there was enough variation. And with the holes in his swing, uh, and, yeah. you know, there's there's just a huge variation. Um, but what do you and think also, of that? And also learning the outfield, too. It's not, it wasn't just, oh, yeah. you know, we talked, I mean, it wasn't, yeah. So he's he, the poor kid starts struggling at third base that first week. And you're thinking, man, he's it's just all this weight is on him. He's the top hitting prospect in the organization. He's got a hit for power, a tough assignment at double A, just so much working against him. So I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Uh, but it's what what do you think about his potential um, in the outfield or at second base? Because uh, Arenado seems to like St. Louis. Um, and with the current labor situation, I don't think he's going to opt out. 
I think he's going to be around for most of the next decade. And so that creates some an interesting log jam, in particular at third base for this organization. And, you know, Okendo was working with him. You know, he has been texting with Dustin Pedroia. Uh, you know, he seems to be very open-minded about it. Uh, his mentality, he's at least saying all the right things in the press. Uh, what do you think about his potential to play positions other than third base? I like using what I've already seen from him. When he was drafted, there were very few evaluators who thought that he would be an average third baseman, uh, specifically at the major league level. Uh, but I guess they also thought that by the time he would make it to double A, he wouldn't be an average third baseman and they Cardinals might scramble to find a position for him. But he is a hard worker. He has that gene, that, that extreme hard worker genetic in him. And by the end of the 2019 season, I would say that he was an above average minor league third baseman. And again, I don't, I don't know what that translates into to a major league third baseman. All I know is that when I watched him play third, he was getting to balls that your average minor league third baseman at that level might not get to and completing plays that your average uh, minor league third baseman wouldn't, wouldn't complete. I will assume based on what I know about his work ethic and his work habits that with a full season and maybe more specifically a full off season of work at second base or in the outfield that he could have that same type of return, you know, average to above average, specifically in a corner outfield spot. I think, I think that's where he's better suited for personally. Um, you know, it's the lateral motion at second base where he kind of trips up over himself. And that's why I say a full off season. I think an off season makes a difference right now. He looks like a third baseman playing second base, uh, he's going to make a lot of really great plays, but it's really the footwork that he's going to need to continue to refine and refine and refine. And, you know, as any middle infielder, as anybody who's ever played middle infield can tell you, if you're tripping over your feet, if you can't get your feet underneath you, it's just a lot of a lot can go really wrong. Uh, like today, playing second, there was a bunt play and he covered first and there was just a lot going on in his area and it was a one bouncer to him and it, it like, he didn't even really make an attempt to scoop it. He didn't, it was just like, it's a new thing for him. It's those things that make me worry about his potential uh, switch to second. But I do think with an off season that he, he'd at least take to that on an average level. He's, I, I have confidence that if you brought him into spring training and said, all right, we're just going to hit you a bunch of fly balls. Just don't throw to the wrong base and don't go diving in a corner. Uh, he'd be fine in left field. Yeah. Has, has he played the outfield at all this year or at all? No, no, no. He's, he's again at double A at Springfield and right. uh, at the, the alternate site he was, or uh, at uh, minor league spring training rather he was, that's what he was working on. Uh, not only at second, but also getting that time out in the outfield. I, yeah. I, I kind of been, it's, they've kind of told us that we'll see him there uh, probably by the minor league all-star break. So about June, you know, July ish, he, he will have some time out there. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, it does just, it seems logical that a corner outfield spot would be a, you know, a better fit for him. Although I've really, uh, the continued, uh, you know, Mike Moustakas's continued career as a major league second baseman has made me reevaluate uh, who I can say can and cannot play second base. So especially since the way they shift now, I mean, what, what's, 
you know, at the major league level, what's the difference between a second baseman and a third baseman these days? I don't know that it's nearly what it used to be. So yeah. it's just those little minutia plays, right? It's just the where to cover, how to turn, uh, th- mm-hmm. those things more than anything. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I was just going to say, I think as Cardinals fans in particular, those of us uh, who lived through the Tony La Russa era, you know, I think that we may take for granted uh, transitioning to second base. You know, we watched Skip Schumacher do it. We watched Matt Carpenter do it. It is not an easy thing to do. And I, we, I think we you hit that. Alan Craig play second base. Alan yeah. Craig. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, LaRusa famously, yes, center field too. And LaRusa famously saying when they would ask him about why an infielder was playing in the outfield, he would just say, if you can play the infield, you can play the outfield. That's literally was Tony LaRusa's reaction. (laughs) And it's not quite that easy. And I think also, you know, we, we've all had experience coaching youth sports and you do move kids around, but you know, when you're doing it at the major league level, there are some guys who have the ability to move around like that. And there are some guys who just don't because they don't have that quick first step, uh, whether it's at second base, as you said, Kyle, moving laterally or the the good first step to get a jump on a fly ball. And and those are very important things. And I think StatCast uh, data really helps illustrate the importance of some of those skills. And so I think when the Cardinals were like, well, yeah, Nolan Gorman's going to play second base. Everyone, you know, in Cardinal nation was just kind of like, okay, you know, like, (laughs) okay, he'll be second baseman in two years. Okay. So it's, uh, it'll be really interesting to see uh, because that's the other thing as well. The higher up you go, the better the pitching gets and the better the breaking stuff gets. And with his swing and miss in his game, he has a lot of adjustments to make just at the plate. Uh, never mind the adjustments in the field. And so it is a lot to ask a prospect to make that change that late in winter. Um, and then also after a lost year, oh, hey, you're also going to go up to double A and deal with that pitching as well. And so I, I think he is one of the most fascinating prospects in all of baseball to be watching this year uh, because there's so much that is unknown about him, really. Um, in terms of his ability to adjust uh, both from a hitting perspective and in the field. He's honestly, since being drafted, you know, he, he gets off to a hot start. He's the best hitter in the Appalachian league. And then he gets promoted to Peoria and he's really good at Peoria in his draft year. And I, I find him to be confounding just trying to evaluate him you see all those things and you understand why he would be the top hitting prospect in the organization, why he'd be one of the top, you know, 50 or 25 or maybe even 10 prospects in baseball, but all of those things. And just his, he's so strong. He's that he looks country strong and he's big and he's powerful. And then that adds to his evaluation, but also you worry about that in the long run. And, I've I've really gone back and forth, and you know, I personally I value pitching so much that it, I I find myself always putting pitchers ahead of hitters because you know we speaking of Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan, I I was raised watching 
average pitchers perform well above average thanks to Dave Duncan and Dave Duncan's style as long as they were willing to adopt it. So, I, like, for me, I already overvalue pitching. So when it comes to, like, Nolan Gorman, I have this internal inclination because of the swing and miss stuff to, like, want to put him further down the list than most people have. Uh, but I have to, like, rein that in and just focus more on the improvements he's made. And, you know, the other thing about him playing second is I think there's an argument to be made that maybe even not, maybe not just as much as Arenado, but that Tommy Edmond might, and he could always shift to short if things don't go well with Paul DeYoung, but Tommy Edmond's done everything possible to secure a, a long-term look at second base. So that, like, that's another thing to keep in mind about his eventual evolution to second base. And, you know, having position versatility is great, but there's three outfield spots <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't know. I just, again, he, he is, he's a, an amazing kid to try to evaluate. Uh, and hopefully he just continues to do what he's done these last couple of weeks, uh, just manifested throughout the entire year. Yeah. So talking about the, the Cardinals and their ability to uh, craft pitchers reminded me, this was something I kind of wanted to ask you about. And, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, if you give them a, a lump of clay, they will turn it into, uh, you know, major league uh, relief pitcher. And, you know, they just they crank out pitcher after pitcher. Th- that's phenomenal. When it comes to position players, they went for a long time without ever giving up any talent on the position player side. You know, they they didn't lose trades, right? They Anybody that they they traded away. I think back to uh, Matt Holiday. Oh, God, who was it that they traded to the A's for Brett Matt Holliday? Wallace. Why can't yeah, Brett Wallace, right? And and at the time, and I've, I've even found it on an old Viva Alberto's thread. Like, I was in the comments like, what a terrible trade. Brett Wallace is the number 13 prospect on the Baseball America, and this is a – you know, six, you know, a couple month rental of Matt Holiday. And, you know, of course I'm a clown and, you know, Brett Wallace, you know, was never really amounted to a whole lot. And, you know, frankly, that's the way it's been for most of my adult life. But here, just in the last few years, you've, you know, you've got some pretty high profile. You've got Luke Voigt, you've got Randy Rosarina. Now you've got a uh, Jag to, you know, potentially. Um, and I, I have started to wonder not on the pitching side, but on the position player side, is the Cardinals, is there a problem with their kind of internal evaluation? Because I see them parting ways with some of those guys. And then I see them, you know, really hanging on to the Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, some guys that like, frankly, I think maybe these are the guys that, you know, could, could have or should have been cut loose. Or maybe it's just that I was spoiled and they didn't do this for years and it's just very hard to evaluate. And and now the pendulum swung the other way. But I, I don't know. You you see more of these guys as they're developing. Do you feel like there's been a shift there? Or? There's been a bit of a shift. I The early returns on those guys, it's just so tough to see them succeeding so quickly after being traded, you know, not to say it'd be easier if a, it was, you know, a year from now, Randy or Rosarena was an impact player or right. a year from now, uh, Adoli's Jag was a, a, an impact player. It's just that it's happening right away too. And I don't think that that helps uh, specifically with Randy because his return were, isn't going to impact the major leagues uh, for, you know, at least a couple months now, you would assume. Right. So right. I think that there's definitely some of that. I, I also wonder, and, you know, there are people way more intelligent than I am, uh, Ben Cerruti, both of you gentlemen, uh, Zach Gifford, who understand park factors better than I do. And 
I do wonder if, you know, obviously striking out, striking out, that's not good in any capacity. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder, like, how much Bush has zapped the potential. Like, if Randy or Rosarena was here, would yeah. he be doing this? Or would he be more like Tommy Edmond, which it was more of his profile? You know, a 10 to 15 home run guy who gets on base, doesn't strike out as much, uh, 260, 370, 260, 360 kind of guy. Yeah. But, like, all of that being said, I do think that, the Cardinals understand that they need to be a little bit more careful about how, you know, how they're, how they're using the pieces that they have the, the sell off of these outfielders. And yeah, they definitely, it seems like they definitely picked the wrong outfielders to trade and the wrong outfielders to keep. But the, the lesson that I've learned from this isn't, well, don't trade the wrong guys. Don't keep the wrong guys. It's you have to be smart about how you've divided up your talent because, like, in your mind, you think at the minor league level, how you divided up your talent at the minor league level. Because you think, you know what, if we get seven outfielders and we have seven outfielders who are under the age of 23 uh, at double A AA and triple A, and then maybe one of them's flirting with the major leagues, one of them is going to hit. One of them is going to hit. But then what you run into a year down the line is trying to find playing time for seven guys who are too good for Memphis. And then eventually, like, you're not learning anything about them. They're all excelling and not doing anything wrong at the minor leagues. And you're just like, all right, well, how do we get the most for these guys? Well, we'll trade Randy and Rosarena because that's who the Rays want for Matthew Libertor. And yeah, maybe we trade Tyler O'Neill and we get a lesser lefty, uh, but we want Matthew Libertor. So we'll throw Randy and Rosarena in there. Uh, to me, you're going to win some trades. You're going to lose some trades. You're going to look good in trades. You're going to look bad in trades. That's That comes with the business. The lesson to take from it is don't let it get to the point where you're, the outfielders, like you're trading for a position of strength. You're trading for a minor league outfielder. You're signing minor league outfielders. You know, within a year, they trade for Tyler O'Neill and then they sign a Jag and they sign Randy Rosarena. That happens within a year. And they all have the potential to be high quality outfielders. Well, what have you allocated that 2.5 to Adolis Garcia or that $1.5 million for Randy Rosarena? What if that went to a different international free agent who ended up blowing the, you know, blowing the roof off the house. Uh, yeah. that That's what I want to see. I, I just, I don't want seven third basemen at AAA and AA or four third basemen at AAA and AA who have the potential to be major leaguers uh, who aren't being tested. And I think that's the lesson that I'm hoping that they take out of it. Uh, as, I, as One more rant, like Tyler O'Neill is the perfect example of this. He, the, the strikeouts were there. Uh, but when you watched him in AAA, he did not make any outfield mistakes ever. And he was athletic. He was getting to balls. He was coming in, going back, going side to side, uh, throwing runners out. People would not run on him. And he never, he just never made a mistake. And then he would lay off a bad breaking pitches at AAA. And, you know, a bad breaking pitch in AAA is different than a bad breaking pitch at, right. at the major league level. But he was showing all of those signs. And then he gets a small taste of the major leagues and he's good, you know, and then he gets another small taste of the major leagues when Marcelo Zuna's hurt and he's good. And it just sometimes kind of crumbles around Tyler. And I feel like it gets in his head and you can't find that out until they get to the major league level. You know, I maintain in that moment and I'm, I'm in the minority that keeping Tyler O'Neill was the right move, but it definitely hindsight 2020 thing. It wasn't the right move. 
well, they, they when he tested is what I'm saying. When you watch Tyler O'Neill at AAA, he screamed major league major leaguer. I, he's a tool shed. I and I think a lot of people, um, you know, it's it's kind of weird that they they trade left-handed starter Marco Gonzalez for Tyler O'Neill, and then they trade Randy Arozarena for a left-handed starter. It's all kind of funny and not funny, but it it is kind of curious, like. You know, maybe you should have just kept Marco Gonzalez and Randy Rosarena, or maybe you shouldn't have played yeah. Tommy Edmond every day in the outfield instead of Randy Rosarena, which is another huge yeah. problem to me is the field manager going with the guy who profiles to be, you know, 10, 15% below leg average at the plate in the outfield over a guy who's shredding AAA, right? Like Randy Rosarena was a better hitter than Tommy Edmond. And he's a better defensive outfielder than Tommy Edmond. So why are we playing him in the outfield? Why are you not giving Rosa Reina the opportunity that you were going to give O'Neill before he went on the yeah. IL um, yeah. back in 2019? And I know people love Tommy Edmond, but I will be surprised, pleasantly surprised, because I cheer for him. There's a great article on The Ringer about his family going to his major league debut. And I've been, you know, I, I root for him and I want him to do well. But I look at his peripherals and I look at his profile and I just see a guy who's going to probably be a below average offensive player for a second baseman. And I cannot for the life of me understand how a major league organization allows the manager to play a player with that profile based on the hot hand fallacy over Randy Rosarena. And I'm not even a Randy Rosarena believer. Like to me, I just look at him and I'm just like, it is batting average on balls and play brother. And it, it could get real ugly really fast. And I think his wonderful magical postseason run has colored everyone's perception. And I'm old enough. I remember Mark Lemke for the Atlanta Braves. No one else does because he didn't do anything other than the postseason when he hit over 400, you know, like, and so Rosarena is still eligible for rookie of the year. And I'll be surprised if he's a top five vote getter this year, honestly, um, because I'm just not 100% sold on him. Now I could be proven completely wrong because a guy who did what he did in the postseason has talent, but yeah. uh, you know, his profile, I'm still in wait and see mode before we're declaring winners and losers on this trade, because I think Liberator profiles to be very good. And I think when Randy Rosarena you know, is done with uh, his service time and ready for free agency and Liberator is done with his service time and ready for free agency. I think we could very well look back and say the Cardinals won that trade. Um, and so I just, I think it's really, I think you make some very good points, um, but it's really fascinating to me to see the way that they have valued their in internal and external options and their inability to turn those acquisitions into quality major leaguers uh, in a seamless yeah, way you, is yeah. cr incredible to me. Whether it's Ozuna or O'Neill or, uh, you know, uh, Carlson has been a very welcome success. But, like, it's very interesting to me to see the way that they have assessed these players and the gap, the seeming gap between that assessment and the on the field production, which leads me to my question. This is really long winded. I'm like a member of Congress um, at a committee hearing. <laughs> You're like the host of prospects after dark. 
Um, but uh, so so my question is, uh, Tim Albert, they they bring him in to redo top to bottom or Jeff Albert. I'm sorry, not Tim Albert, Jeff Albert. I, I don't know why I just did that. Um, Jeff Albert, they bring him, him in to redo the, the whole, uh, apparatus of hitter development within the organization. And they want to use the new technology. They want to use advanced metrics. And I'm just interested. There's been a lot of grousing about Albert, uh, at the major league level. Um, because of some of the poor returns in the in his first two years, but they brought him in to redo hitting for the whole organization. There was not even a minor league 2020 season, and I don't know what are you hearing or what is your impression with respect to how this uh, reshaping of hitter development is doing for the Cardinals, or how is it working, and and what is your take on it? I know that they. They put all of the minor leaguers who were at minor league spring training through a pretty intense workout schedule in the hitting lab. Now, I've, I've heard different things about the hitting lab from players, uh, from people associated, and I don't. I still don't feel like I have a good enough idea. I need to ask more questions about exactly what the what makes up the, their hitting lab. I, I need to know more information before I can actually feel comfortable talking about what it consists of. But I will say that one of the, the things that they've really pushed uh, with all of the hitters is using that opposite field gap. And the one thing that I've seen at every level, oh, I can't speak for Palm Beach because I haven't personally watched Palm Beach yet. I'll get to watch them next week. They're at Bradenton. So I'll actually get to watch Palm Beach. I'm really excited about that. Uh, but at Peoria and Springfield and Memphis, specifically with the left-handed hitters, uh, they are all looking left field gap. They're all trying to bust the shift. And I like that's the one thing that I've really seen. It hasn't really manifested so much with the righties. But then I think about the right-handers in the organization, and they're already kind of hitters that, you know, they might, they're probably not going to be major league hitters, but they're all minor league hitters who use the majority of the field pretty well. Uh, so that's like that's the one thing that I, I have been told that they worked on uh, identifying specific trying to identify the pitch to go opposite field with. I know that that's been a huge point of emphasis in all of this. And that's definitely one of the early returns. Uh, they still have a high strikeout issue. Again, you're using three weeks, a little under three weeks to evaluate it. Uh, like Alec Burleson, who we were talking about earlier, he's producing power. He's producing but he's also striking out quite a bit. You know, early on, Nolan Gorman was striking out a lot. Avon Herrera has been striking out a lot. Most of their offensive producers are also coming with the, oh, wait, this guy's striking out a lot. And that's that's honestly where, like, Jordan Walker has been really impressive. I You know, in, like, 50 uh, plate appearances, 40 at-bats, something like that, he struck out nine times. And to do that at low A, full season, uh, in my opinion, regardless of how we're judging low A full season, is impressive. Uh, the, uh, a prep kid who had a big hole in his swing adjusting at that rate, I think, is a positive. But that's like that is the one return early on in the 2021 season that I am seeing uh, all the way around. Peoria's had like Alec Burleson tonight. His home run, his first double A home run, was down the left field line. In Peoria, it's a 310 wall, so it's kind of short, but. Brendan Donovan hit a home run down left field uh, as a left-handed swinger. Brady Whalen hit a ball down left field as a left-handed swinger. 
I'm seeing a lot of that. And I think that's a huge positive. I, it's not happening with the older players. Like Jose Rondon isn't changing himself. Max Moroff wasn't changing himself. Uh, you know, Lane Thomas, who got three at bats or whatever it was at AAA to get his confidence back and then has been sitting on the Cardinals bench. Uh, it, it, he didn't really do anything different. Those older players aren't necessarily doing anything different, but it's those younger kids uh, yeah. adopting a new mentality and executing it rel- like relatively quickly. I, I think that's, that's what I'm saying. And I know that they've pushed these kids specifically to cut down on the strikeouts, but we're, I don't, just don't think we're seeing it just yet. Well, and See, you I would wonder... think if they're, Oh, go ahead, Ben, go ahead. No, no go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going to say, I, you know, for a while there, it looked like uh, players were in the majors even, and the minors were getting more pull happy. And that was leaving them perhaps more susceptible to good pitches uh, away. And so if you're, if you're letting the ball get deeper uh, and looking for that pitch to drive to the opposite field, you would have to think that you would start to see some returns in the strikeout rate was all that I was going to say. But Ben, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I'm, I'm curious about just what the goal is in something like the Cardinals pitching lab too, because I, I don't even know what can you even teach a major league player in terms of approach in this era with the unbelievably nasty stuff that major league pitchers throw. And, you know, we listen to all of these old timer play by play and color guys, you know, who are still saying, you know, like, oh, choke up, put the ball in play. You got two strikes. It's like Corbin Burns is throwing a 96 mile an hour cutter like you're telling me you can choke up and take not your best swing and you think you can make con- you cannot like they you know and i feel like that's the big reason we've seen the evolution in, in strikeouts is you know as a hitter i think you can perfect your swing and you just got to go up there and take your perfect swing and hope that you make contact on it the idea that you can you can then also take some modified version of your swing and put it in play. I, I, you know, I I feel like that's a product of a bygone era, you know, when you were facing, you know, middle relievers who worked in a hardware store in the off season and were throwing, you know, you know, 87 mile an hour junk. I just don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's really like practical or doable now. So with that in mind, I I just almost wonder like, you know, what do you do approach wise and hearing you talk about the the drive to the opposite field gap, especially for left-handed hitters, you know, that, that is interesting. And that does seem like something that there's some potential for. And, and, you know, the one guy, and he's a right-hander, but uh, we talked a little bit of him already. Tyler O'Neill is the one guy at the major league level who I do really feel like I'm seeing some difference in his approach this year. And he's also the one guy at the major league level who is young enough that I feel like maybe he is kind of a product of the Jeff Albert, you know, kind of thing. Cause while I know everybody works with them, I mean, uh, obviously like a Goldschmidt or an Arenado are pretty much their own hitting coach, I think at this point. So, but I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of babbling on, but I mean, do you, I mean, what do you think that you can even do approach wise with, with somebody? It, it all boils down to the, the specific player. You you know you bring up Tyler O'Neill, kind of readapting or readopting, but kind of readapting his old mentality, that minor league mentality at the major league level. It's just to me with with him specifically, it's about having buy into his process. I think he starts struggling a little bit and wants to adjust, uh, and he over adjusts, and I think that that hurts him at the major league level. Uh, Harrison Bader is a super interesting um, example here or specimen to to kind of dissect because 
you know, we're, we're, we're finding out more and more about Harrison Bader's offseason, right? Uh, they just said on the broadcast uh, earlier today that he sought help with somebody to hit right-handed pitching better this offseason. You know, that, that didn't happen within the Cardinals organization. That's a major leaguer adjusting and trusting his own process. And we're getting early returns on that. We're seeing a completely different Harrison Bader than any version of Harrison Bader I've ever seen. Uh, the mm-hmm. best version of Harrison Bader so far. And, you know, you also hear about uh, a, maybe a, an eye surgery that he had to undergo to get pallets removed from his eyelids or something, which also would help his vision, obviously. So his eyes aren't watering like uh, uh, it was mentioned. And that report was never substantiated anyways, uh, but it could very well be true. It couldn't. But, uh, you know, your, your point is uh, to your point, like, I think that's the key. I think getting them in early enough, you know, uh, especially now after they missed an entire season and they've been working and working and working and working and working, get, keep their body in shape, keep their process going. Uh, I think now to get them in and get their, their minds in a particular mind frame that this is how you're going to get to the major leagues. This is how you adjust to what is modern in baseball of uh, the shift uh, uh, playing to your strengths, trying to beat your strengths and not even worrying about your weaknesses. Like, uh, that's that's the key, and that's what they're doing. At least it seems like they're doing, uh, and it seems to have had positive effects throughout the system. Even if the minor league teams aren't winning or the kids are hitting 200, there, there are definitely little adjustments that even, like, the guys that I write off, like, uh, I, and I say write off, but, like, an outfielder like Dave Vinsky, who is just organizational depth, like, seeing the way his approach has changed. Uh, and the way he's adjusting to the pitches he's saying, I think those are like the key is just let those let the let the adults just do whatever the adults do and keep trying to teach the kids to not be the adults. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm, I, I haven't called for Jeff Albert to be fired yet this season. And this is probably a record for me because I feel like hitting coaches should be fired like, uh, you know, like Darth Vader gets rid of Starship commanders right it's like just like just cycle through them like you got a rough two and a half weeks fire that guy bring on the next one the cardinals have obviously invested in this guy for the long term and maybe they're maybe it's actually going to prove to be right so well harrison baylor or bader uh i read uh the article i think it was on stl today um and he worked with a an assistant hitting coach the cardinals have fired when they fired matheny uh bill miller um, and he's the one who Bader was working with. And I have seen reports that he just doesn't really use any of the advanced technology or anything that Albert wants to use. And uh, he seems to be uh, pretty set in his ways and not terribly interested in any of the new wave stuff. Um, and so it will be interesting to see if his success continues uh you know, as he's kind of charted his own path in that regard. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's the one who's been vocal about that saying that he just, he doesn't buy into it. It's not saying it's too much information, but just kind of alluding to it just being too much information for him and wanting to get back to basics. And that's, you know, that is certainly an understandable, uh, position in my opinion, just because there is so much information and I could see a player being overwhelmed by it. So I, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in particular this season uh, because this is really, for all intents and purposes, uh, year two of the Albert organizational era. Uh, even though I 
I guess there was a year last year for the majors that consisted of 60 ish games. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, maybe that should count or be taken into consideration, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see, uh, kind of what the returns are, um, on some of these changes, uh, here this season. Well, Ben, we're, uh, we're coming up on an hour here, so I feel like we should, uh, maybe, uh, maybe wrap things up. Was there any other specific questions you wanted to throw at, uh, at Kyle or should we, uh, should we move ahead to, uh, what we're, what we're looking ahead to? Uh, I I think uh, we can move ahead to what we're looking ahead to. So Kyle, we, we usually kind of end by talking about what we're going to be looking for. Um, since we've kept the focus on the minors today, what are you going to be looking for in the minor leagues over the you know coming weeks, coming months? I mean, obviously you're going to be, you're, you're, first of all, we've established that you watch the games clockwork orange style with your eyes, you know, pinned open and multiple screens going on. So you will be watching literally everything, but what is something specifically that you're going to be kind of looking out for? Well, in the immediate future, tomorrow, Zach Thompson starts. He didn't have a start last week. They used him out of relief. I'm really going to be keyed in on Zach Thompson's start tomorrow for Memphis. I think it's important. Uh, he was dominant against Tampa Bay, against the Durham Bulls, Tampa's AAA team, for the first inning and a half, and then he just kind of lost it. You could see his adrenaline. Like, you could you could see, like, the adrenaline kind of rush out of him, and uh, he lost command. Uh, so, I'm, in the immediate, like, tomorrow, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to um, Zach Thompson and, and what his start looks like. But just in general. I want to see all of the things we've talked about. I want to see the lefties continue to use that left field gap. Like I'm going to keep keying in on that. Uh, One thing that I do, there's two things that I I do not evaluate well. And I think a lot of it has to do with minor league camera angles for one of them. Uh, And also not like, you know, I live in St. Louis, so I don't, I don't get to get to Springfield a lot. I don't get to get to Memphis or Peoria a lot. I'm going to try to do it more frequently, but it might be one weekend, uh, each per week. And then you have to rely on people that you make contacts with to tell you about these guys or what you're seeing in MILB TV to kind of adjust. But uh, I really want to key in specifically on the speed of outfielders. I've always been a kick below like my own evaluation of an outfielder is always like just a kick below what their actual speed is. I really want to key in on that. Uh, The Cardinals, another thing that's really like stuck with me about these first three weeks of the minor league season is the Cardinals have a lot of really good defensive catchers. And some of those defensive catchers are really, really intriguing hitters too. And it's not just, you know, it's not just, we all know Andrew Kisner. It's not just Devon Herrera or uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Julio Rodriguez. It is, it's Zade Richardson uh, at Peoria. It's his battery mate, Pedro Pajes at Peoria. Uh, Springfield also has an undrafted free agent from the 2020 draft named Nick Raposo, who doesn't get a lot of time, but he's a, I mean, he has a beautiful swing, a beautiful slick swing. I want to see more of him, but I'm going to key in more on framing. I'm terrible at judging framing. Part of that is minor league umpires are infinitely worse than major league umpires. So, uh, it's hard to judge exactly how a minor leaguer would steal a strike when they're the triple A triple-A umpires are so far away from major league umpires that I think it would really surprise people. Uh, so I'm going to key in on that a little bit more. And honestly, the, the goal for me this entire season is to just 
try my hardest to eliminate those personal biases I have or those personal favoritisms I have, uh, whether it be with like a kid that I'm a player that I've made a connection with or a family member of a player I've made a connection with and just evaluate open and honestly, uh, give everyone from, you know, David Vinsky to Raider Escanio to uh, Matthew Libertor to, uh, you know, all of the kids at Jordan Walker to Carlos Soto to give them all just an even playing field and really key in on them individually, which isn't easy to do when you're listening to four broadcasts and watching three with the Cardinal game on your TV and the blues game on your other laptop. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm really, really going to key in on, on individual performances, uh, maybe more so than I have in the past. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, ben, how about you? Anything you're particularly looking for this off season or this, sorry, this uh, minor league season. Well, I, you know, I, I try and check the minor league uh, stats and box scores uh, pretty regularly. And I was actually uh, texting this morning uh, with Joe Schwarz, who used to write at Birds on the Black, uh, as well as The Athletic, and uh, wrote with Ben and I at um, Viva Albertos. And uh, he brought up... Um, a pitcher who has uh, impressed early on this year, and that's uh, Connor Thomas uh, out of Springfield. And he has uh, definitely in the early going this year, he's made it into that group of players where I uh, proactively am going to be seeking out uh, what he's doing. Uh, and, and the big reason for that, he has, he has 20 strikeouts and one walk and 16 and a third innings so far this year. And, you know, that's some good control. And, uh, I'm interested to see, uh, you know, I'm going to try and, and catch him on, uh, M I, uh, uh, M I L B, uh, TV and, uh, and see, you know, sort of what his stuff is and also see if he can keep up this good run because that those are some very promising numbers in terms of strikeout to walk ratio. So he's, uh, that's a very specific thing, um, but he's just a player who has sort of emerged. Uh, and growing up, uh, I, I followed the Georgia Tech uh, baseball team uh, when I was younger. And so, uh, you know, he, he is a yellow jacket. And so he has made it onto my uh, radar and I'm going to be paying attention to how he does in the weeks ahead. Yeah. If I can jump in there real fast, just, uh, Connor Thomas, you know, he's always throwing strikes always. And he's always had like a low nineties fastball and kind of a side, not a sidearm, but the three quarters angle. And to watch his slider, his slider has developed, his fastball changeup is pretty good, but his slider has developed against righties that it's biting at the right time that righties, double A righties are swinging over the top of he's, he's inducing a lot of grounders, a lot of weak contact. And, you know, he was the fifth round pick in 2019 or the, uh, uh, yeah, the fifth round pick in 2019 and the Cardinals went, uh, college arm heavy that year in a relatively weak college arm class. And the pick before him, the Cardinals pick before him in the fourth rounder, in the fourth round was a right-hander named Andre Payante, who is another pitcher pitching for Springfield. And uh, Payante pitched on Sunday. It was probably the best pitching performance that a Cardinals pitcher has put together in the system. And the two of those guys are probably going to be the names to really keep an eye on uh, from that class outside of their top couple picks, uh, you know, Trajan Fletcher and Zach Thompson. Uh, 
Payante is immensely talented, and he'll, he he has four pitches, three that are at least on Sunday are already above average for the double A level. So uh, I've I've been impressed with Connor Thomas. I kind of wrote him off because he couldn't get righties out uh, when he entered the system, but to watch the adjustments he's made against righties is really where the money's at. Nice, nice. Well, uh, I am going to go, uh, in terms of what I'm going to be watching this season, I'm just excited to be watching minor league baseball and specifically to be watching minor league baseball in person again. Uh, as Ben and I have said, Ben and I both live here in Des Moines, uh, home of the AAA Iowa Cubs. So we get to see a lot of really good you know, AAA baseball come through. Um, so I go to many games a season, but of course, went a whole year without, you know, being in a ballpark. So, um, I've been one so far. We did, went out on opening day. It was amazing. Um, tomorrow or actually today, as people are listening to this is, uh, my birthday and, uh, I have decided, uh, uh, the, uh, the Iowa Cubs have a noon game and it's a mug club day so I can get a free beer. So I have decided uh, I'm going out with my wife and doing some things later, but I decided during the afternoon. I'm going to go to the ball game by myself and like keep score and have a beer. And so that is something that, and and when I say a beer, it'll be more, it'll be multiple beers, but you understand. Um, So that's what I'm going to do. I've already been looking. uh, We're not going to see Memphis, unfortunately this year, because they're the minor leagues are doing this kind of limited, like regional scheduling. Um, But uh, Peoria does get up and and plays in uh, Davenport and Cedar Rapids, which is not too far from us here. So, I know Ben and I and some of our friends here have already kind of looked at the schedule to figure out when we can get over there um, and catch some of those series. So I'm just really looking forward to seeing some minor league yeah. baseball uh, in person. So awesome. Happy birthday, Ben. That's I hope you have a great day tomorrow uh, today, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It sounds like a very good Cardinals off day uh, to go to the ballpark and watch minor league baseball, uh, even though the Cardinals aren't playing. It sounds about ideal, to be honest. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, anyway, Kyle, uh, thank you so, so much for joining us today. And, and obviously um, people, it, I, I mean, I'm sure everybody watches Prospects After Dark. If they don't, they absolutely should. The Dirty 35, everything you do at Birds on the Black. I hope folks are all keying into that. Is, is there anything else that you're you're doing right now or any other ways folks can connect with you to you want to let them know about? No, no. And I, I mean this. And I know a lot of people probably don't think I mean this. I would encourage you to not follow me. I, I would I would encourage you to A, not follow me, and then B, ignore me as much as possible. I, You know, maybe somebody will retweet a gift that I did. I, I don't know. But for real, just follow C70. That's <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Follow at Cardinals Gifts and at C70, and uh, you won't be disappointed. I, I bring nothing but disappointment. Uh, years of dating will tell you that, and family members probably. <laughs> well, I, I, have to, I have to respectfully disagree, though I do follow C70 and Cardinals Gifts. I would encourage everyone to follow uh, all yes. three of you. Uh, yes. I'm super grateful, I mean, particularly this year, the amount of, uh, of gifting that you're doing of those those minor league games has been really great to be able to see so many of those at-bats in person. So, um, so anyway, thank you. So glad to have you here on the show. Um, so it, it was oh, yeah, it was a pleasure. Just thank you. I just wanted to say thank you. You guys are awesome. I, I, I had a great time. You're the best. Awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot for joining us. We'll have to do this again uh, uh, later on in the year and, and see how the prospects are doing. It was a lot of fun, uh, and I second uh, Ben's endorsement. Uh, and I disagree with Kyle. You should follow him. 
uh, and listen to what he has to say on prospects. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, this has been another uh, Cardinals off day. We'll uh, see you next time. <laughs>